Thanks for tuning in to WIHI. For over 25 years, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement has worked with visionaries, leaders, and frontline practitioners around the world to spark bold, innovative ways to improve the health of individuals and populations. If you've ever wondered how exactly we do this or what specifically IHI is working on now, then the 2019 Immersion Program is for you. A week-long program taking place July 29th through August 2nd in IHI's Boston office, Immersion provides participants with a deep dive into IHI's strategy and values. Head to IHI.org Immersion to register today and claim your spot. Now, here's WIHI. Older Americans get talked about a lot by healthcare analysts and policymakers, and of course the media. And sometimes it seems as if the costs of caring for an aging population is the only concern, not the people themselves, or the care itself, or the unique needs of older individuals. So when an initiative comes along that can help health systems improve care for older patients in significant ways, grounded in what matters most to those older patients, and can also help health systems realize some return on investing in better care, well, this is something worth noting and exploring, which is what we're about to do on this edition of WIHI. And I want to welcome you to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you live, and then after the show, you can find us as an archived edition on IHI.org and also as a podcast. You subscribe to IHI iTunes. That's where you find us. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I am also IHI's Director of Communications. We have a lot in store for the next hour. We've got an overview of the Age-Friendly Health Systems Initiative, and then a special focus on the business case for age-friendly care, including what that looks like in both an inpatient and outpatient setting. All right, I'm giving very brief introductions because I really want to favor the content today. And we have nice long bios of everybody on slides, so please refer to those. Um, Joining us by phone from Hartford, Connecticut, Robert Dix is a geriatric internist and the director of geriatric programs at Hartford Hospital. Bob's colleague at Hartford Hospital is Christine Wazinski. She is currently the coordinator of the geriatric consult service known as ADAPT, and that stands for Actions for Delirium Assessment, Prevention, and Treatment. And also, Chris is the coordinator for NICHE, or NICHE, which stands for Nurses Improving Care for Health System Elders. I want to welcome you both, Bob and Chris. Thank you. All right. Fabulous. Moving west to Indianapolis, we've got Suzanne Engel, currently serving as the Director of Care Coordination for Ascension Medical Group, Indiana. And Jenny Albright is the Manager for Ascension St. Vincent Center for Healthy Aging and Senior Services. So welcome, Suzanne and Jenny. Thank you. All right. And further west, because we can always go further west, (laughs) Victor Tabosh is adjunct professor emeritus at the UCLA Anderson School of Management. In May of last year, he began research to evaluate the financial implications of creating age-friendly health systems. Our topic today. Welcome, Victor. Thank you, Madge. Hello, everyone. All right. And as a lead into our topic, we asked Tam Dong, a senior research associate at IHI and a co-author of the business case for becoming an age-friendly health system, to quickly provide some background about the initiative. And Tam will stick around during the program, be helpful uh, during the Q&A as needed, and uh, we're glad to have you. Tam, so uh, let's start off. We've got a few slides just to help people with some background and context. Thank you very much. Thanks, Madge. Hi, everyone. Um, It's a pleasure to be with you today. So a little bit about the initiative. The Age-Friendly Health System Initiative is the result of a collaboration between IHI and the Johnny Hartford Foundation in partnership with the American Hospital Association and the Catholic Health Association of the United States. So at the beginning of this, we recognize the challenges that many of you know well. 
We know that those who are 65 years and older are increasing in numbers. We know that the healthcare system is not prepared to serve them well, especially for those with multiple chronic conditions and social needs. And we know that in the current system, older adults experience harm and may not receive care that's consistent with what matters to them. And the good news is that we know there are evidence-based models of effective geriatric care. So at IHI, we saw this as an opportunity to increase the reliability of these models to achieve better outcomes for older adults. Um, And with our partners, uh, we are committed to building a social movement where all care with older adults is age-friendly. That means that the care is evidence-based, causes no harm, and is consistent with what matters to the older adults and their family. And at IHI, we like to set numeric goals for ourselves. So the first goal that we set is that by the end of 2020, a 1,000 hospitals and a 1,000 primary care practices will be age-friendly. And so this initiative focuses on what we call the four M's framework. The first M is what matters, knowing and acting on what matters to the older adult. We see this as the foundation of age-friendly care. Uh, Next is medication, understanding and reducing medications that are potentially high risk for older adults. And then there's the focus on mentation, delirium in the inpatient setting and then dementia and depression in the outpatient setting. And then importantly, mobility, preventing functional impairment and ensuring older adults can move safely to do what matters to them. So these four M's are intended to work together. They're all connected, interact, and reinforce one another. Uh, And so it's intended to be implemented together as a set. So last, the goal is for the four M's to be practiced reliably for all older adults across all settings and in every interaction. So we tested these four M's with five health systems across the U.S., um, Kaiser Permanente, Trinity, Ascension, Anne Arundel Medical Center, and Providence St. Joseph. These systems tested the four M's and gave us detailed insights into how to make it work in the inpatient and ambulatory side. Um, so, And all of our learnings are put into the guide to using the four M's available on our website. Um, Also on our website, we've outlined steps on how you can become recognized as an age-friendly health system. So if you go on there, you'll see an image that says, ready, set, go. Um, Feel free to click around and see how you can become recognized. Um, So as we were testing this work with our partners, we recognized that all of us who are doing this work understand the strong moral case for creating age-friendly health systems. We know that we can and that we must do better. So the moral case is a bit easier to make. And then at the same time, we recognize that health systems operate in a business environment in which we also need to make the financial case in order to get support for this work and to help spread this work. Um, With support from the SCAN Foundation, we work with uh, Victor Tavish from the UCLA Anderson School of Management to create the business case uh, along with two return and investment calculators, one on the inpatient side and one on the outpatient side. Um, And so with that, I think I'm going to pass it over to uh, Dr. Victor Tavish to talk a little bit more about the business case. Thanks, Tam. I'm going to just jump in real quickly. Uh, Thank you very much for that overview. Uh, As many people know who tune into WIHI regularly, we do move quickly through a lot of material, uh, and that's kind of the beauty of the show and the challenge, Uh, but we provide a lot of links, and you should think of this program as a way to, in a very compact way, introduce you to a lot of stuff that we then invite you to look over uh, later uh, on the links, on the materials, etc. And I think that certainly applies uh, to Victor, who uh, kind of did this yo person's uh, <laughs> job at creating these very interesting uh, calculators. And uh, he's going to do his best uh, to give you an overview of that. And we're going to have Victor kind of in two parts. He's going to just give you some high-level stuff about why focus on finance. We're going to hear from the folks at Hartford Hospital, and then we'll come back to Victor uh, after that. Thanks, Victor. Okay, Madge. Um, well, let's uh, advance the slide. As Tam pointed out, we can actually go to the next slide uh, beyond this one. 
as Tim pointed out, the decision to adopt an age-friendly health system is really based on financial considerations. It's the, and I like the term, Tam, it's the moral thing to do. It's simply the right thing to do for the patient. Avoiding harms, creating better health outcomes is the motivation. However, those in finance who may be asked to devote resources to this or any other quality initiative may wish to see an assessment of the financial consequences. Next slide. Now, that brings up what I think is a useful distinction when one is talking about a, the business case for quality care. It's a distinction between two types of value, both of which an age-friendly health system can uh, and has been shown to deliver. In the inpatient setting, uh, intrinsic value refers to the value of the health and well-being, those benefits to the patient. Uh, the instrumental value refers to the financial benefits to, in the inpatient setting, to the hospital, uh, principally lower costs. Age-friendly care can deliver both forms of value and a strong business case showing that the 4Ms can provide intrinsic value can help sustain the delivery of the, uh, excuse me, that can provide uh, instrumental value can also uh, sustain the delivery of the intrinsic value. Next slide. The potential financial benefits, that is the instrumental value from the 4Ms, can accrue in three different ways. Uh, number one, avoiding costs of low-quality care, for example, reducing uh, the length of stay and hospital uh, readmissions. Uh, secondly, delivering care in a more cost-effective manner, for example, optimizing the care plan, the care site, and the resource mix that delivers the care. And thirdly, under certain circumstances, financial benefits can accrue from uh, enhanced revenue from delivering high-quality care, such as in the outpatient setting, the provision of beneficial health screenings. Next slide. Clinical leaders and geriatricians in this case looking to introduce uh, an age-friendly health system should possess, in my view, the capability to assess its instrumental value a competence to make a business case. And to do that, uh, one has to follow four sequential steps. Number one, identify who is going to receive the care. For example, is it the uh, ACE unit, the cardio unit, only older populations, or the entire hospital? And what is the number of individuals that uh, will receive the care? Number two, since the ROI from an age-friendly approach in that inpatient setting stems from cost avoidance, the second step is estimating hospital costs for the selected population under usual care, that is, under care that uh, is not age-friendly, the old way of doing things, you might say. The third step is to estimate what the costs of uh, age-friendly care are. That is, the costs above and beyond usual care, if there are any. And there may not be incremental costs, but we should account for the possibility that there are. Number four, we've got to estimate the magnitude of costs that age-friendly care has succeeded in avoiding. Uh, that amount of avoidance is the difference between medical costs under usual care minus those costs expected to be lower under age-friendly care. Five, we also must consider and build into the business case any revenue implications in addition to that cost avoidance to which I've just referred. And number six, the final, uh, the final step is actually the ROI calculation itself. ROI is a metric most often used to quantify the strength of a business case. ROI is uh, defined as the net benefit, the net economic benefit divided by the financial cost. That would be a percent. Next slide. Whoops, we're going to go back. There we are. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, so with help from, uh, with financial support from IHI and uh, the SCAN Foundation and the John Hartford Foundation, I've designed calculators that take the user through these steps, allowing you to make an assessment of what your program, your age-friendly program can or is generating. More on that in a few minutes, and I'll turn things back over to you, Madge, 
to introduce our colleagues from Hartford. Thank you so much, Victor. Very clear explanation. So I hope you're intrigued <laughs> seeing all those various uh, uh, screenshots there from these two uh, calculators. More on that in a moment, as Victor says. All right, we're going to turn now to Chris and Bob from Hartford Hospital. Mentation. Uh, as probably everybody on the call knows, is uh, certainly uh, can be a very big issue. Uh, it can often happen to older patients, uh, even even though it's just on a temporary basis, while they're hospitalized and can be very challenging uh, to deal with this. So uh, mentation is one of the four M's. And uh, Chris is going to start us off with the work they've done on the inpatient side uh, at Hartford Hospital. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Madge. So Dr. Dix and I will be summarizing our program called ADAPT, which stands for Actions for Delirium Assessment, Management, and Treatment. And you'll see that ADAPT actually incorporates all the four M's, but the focus of the project is on delirium. And so just a few facts about delirium from the literature. It's very common among older adults during illness and injury. It's associated with increased mortality, morbidity, falls, persistent and future cognitive impairment, and PTSD that are all harms that can occur to the patient. It's also associated with less than optimum system-related outcomes, such as prolonged length of hospitalization, discharge to a higher level of care, readmission, and increased costs. It's also suggested that 30 to 40% of delirium is preventable and that it's caused by either the action or inaction of the healthcare team. It's often under-recognized and poorly managed, which then leads to delayed diagnosis or an implementation of treatment and management. So therefore, early recognition and implementation of best practice interventions can improve outcomes. For our situation, Dr. Dix and I have for many years uh, been providing geriatric consultations for numerous cases of delirium within our hospital system. And what we noticed was that many practitioners had a lack of knowledge about delirium prevention management and treatment and were uh, not following best practices. So we saw this as an opportunity to bring this to our leadership to convince them that delirium deserves resources and attention, but recognize that we needed our own data from Hartford Hospital to be able to make the case. So our first step was to implement a hospital-wide screening program for delirium that could capture all occurrences. Um, with some work, we chose the uh, CAM, which is the Confusion Assessment Method, and the CAM ICU to use as our screening tool after we piloted those on two units with nursing staff. Uh, since 2012, we've had nurses performing these delirium screens on every patient in our hospital every eight hours. And this has required many different approaches to educate the nursing staff initially as well as ongoing. I'll now turn it over to uh, Dr. Dix for some comments about the next steps that occurred. Thank you, this is Bob Dix. Um, as Chris said, our objectives were to establish an evidence-based best practice program to improve prevention and management of delirium and to establish active QI programs on which we could continuously enhance care. We added demonstration of value as an additional objective. Um, as, as referenced, but I'll get into a little more detail, we needed to embed the structure of this program and our ability to capture outcomes into our systems. With strong administrative support, we were able to integrate the confusion assessment method into our EHR. And with strong nursing engagement, as Chris said, um, we made CAM assessments a required field. That allowed us to get to a nearly 100% compliance with screening and because of EHR integration and recording of results, we've been able to pull CAM results into a real-time registry. From this registry, we've been able to monitor compliance with assessments and protocols, report outcomes, and pursue outcomes research projects. We're gonna go back a couple slides, if we, if we can. 
All right, we're going well, back. Tell us when to stop. <laughs> okay. Uh, one one more. more, please. Okay. So the, these are um, basic outcomes uh, with or without delirium, um, which most people are familiar with. Um, because, next slide, please. Because of our registry, we were able to actually capture our own outcomes rather than um, deal with reference outcomes and over time be able to track um, incidents, length of stay, disposition, and readmission and um, response to protocol enhancements over time. The, um, the next slide begins to get into our attempts to estimate delirium attributable costs based on excess hospital days associated with delirium. With these results, um, we are able to pursue QI with our own data and with strong engagements with all parties, including administrative, clinical, and research, and now finance, uh, we move to the next stage. Uh, next slide, please. So once we were able to show the significant impact of delirium on patient outcomes at Hartford Hospital, uh, a delirium care pathway, which includes the four M's, was developed. So um, the pathway itself involves interprofessional approaches to care, and it, inv and, and it invites providers, nurses, uh, professionals from the rehab services, volunteers, the pharmacists, the patient and family, and others to participate in this pathway from admission through transition to the community. It spells out the best practice for prevention, screening, treatment, and management with a big focus on patient safety, patient comfort, and preserving patient function. And we update this protocol as, as appropriate as new uh, data comes to light. From this, order sets and structured notes have been created to, uh, pr to produce a tangible method of standardizing care for patients at risk for or for experiencing delirium at our hospital. And I'll turn it back over to Dr. Dix for final summary. Uh, next slide, please. So as noted in our earlier discussion of objectives, um, we've been looking at other components or domains of value, in particular costs associated with delirium. Using our own data, um, collaborating with finance to acquire actual cost data, we've been looking at excess hospital days associated with delirium, that is, delirium attributable days, and have demonstrated over time decreased numbers of delirium attributable days year by year and an estimated cost savings associated with this decrease. In our most recent analysis, and this slide shows that in graphic form, We've experienced approximately a 40% decrease in delirium attributable days over the past six years, or approximately 8% per year, with an estimated cost savings of $6.5 million annually. Because we have universal screening, it means all ages, all populations admitted to the hospital are screened during their stay. Um, we believe these results to be meaningful, but are now engaged with finance and research in a more structured, deeper dive to look at matched outcomes. We believe that as we move forward towards value-based healthcare, these studies are more meaningful and compelling. Thank you. All right. Thank you very, very much. Um, okay. A very uh, powerful story. And now I want to go back to Victor Tavish to talk about uh, some of the stuff happening behind the scenes uh, that would also uh, really equip you uh, on the financial uh, side. Okay, Victor. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Bob. And thank you, Chris. Not just for the presentation, but thank you for uh, having shared with me your experience, which became the inspiration for the structure of the inpatient calculator for the 4Ms. And so in the screenshot, it says business case results for the 4Ms inpatient setting at Hartford Hospital. Really what the, uh, the series of results shown here purport to, to show, it's really a stylized case built upon the Hartford experience. But these numbers do not purport to show the actual numbers 
that uh, Hartford has been able to experience. In fact, Hartford has been able to show, I believe, a much more uh, higher, a much higher return, a stronger business case than what I've modeled here. I've purposefully chosen to be cautious. I've created a very, very conservative case uh, based on uh, utilizing inputs that might represent the most pessimistic of scenarios. So this uh, this screenshot here shows the results that the calculator uh, displays at the end of the process of populating it. And uh, there are three, uh, three um, results that I want to draw your attention to. Uh, the net benefit, that represents the difference between the uh, gross benefits in terms of cost avoidance and any revenue enhancements and the costs of delivering uh, the 4Ms, the incremental costs of uh, age-friendly care. So it's an absolute return, whereas the next row is a return on investment. ROI is a percentage, that is the net benefit divided by the programmatic costs. Finally, and you'll see here a number that you probably have not seen before, uh, patient years reclaimed. What does that mean? Well, this represents the time not spent as inpatients because of a lower length of stay that the 4Ms brings about. So even with purposefully chosen, perfectly conservative data, the results are impressive. An ROI of 400%, net income of almost a million, and that reduction in the length of stay. Patients in the aggregate spend two years less in the hospital given the number of admissions. So what you see here is the calculator. It's the entire calculator, the calculator that generated those results on the prior screen grab. Uh, it's a simple calculator. It occupies a single screen. So what I will do is take you through the sequence of steps which mirror those steps that I outlined before previously on how to make a business case. Here the calculator does all of the math for you. So first of all, we identify the, the population. Uh, the calculator asks you which uh, particular service line would you want to uh, do the calculation for. Uh, maybe you'll have different results depending on whether it's elective ortho or cardio or whether it's the acute care for the elderly. You also have the option of including the implications for post-acute care if there are any financial implications for you because uh, age-friendly care when delivered in the hospital setting has been shown to reduce the number of admissions to skilled nursing, post-acute care. Uh, and then the uh, population, the number of individuals that will be served by the, uh, by the program, and then the costs, which are divided into three categories, the one-time only or launch expenses, the fixed costs, which don't vary uh, with respect to the number of uh, patients that receive the care, and those costs that do vary, those being the variable costs. So the next uh, next screen, please. The next step is crucial. After inserting the population data and uh, the cost data, uh, now we have to insert the data relating to hospital-acquired conditions, the, the incidence of those conditions, uh, the costs, and the prevention effectiveness of a 4M regimen. Now, you'll see here uh, I'm focusing on delirium, but the calculator allows you to look at all, uh, other hospital-acquired conditions as well, which the 4Ms can also address besides delirium, which, of course, the ADAPT program has been magnificently effective in uh, reducing. Uh, so things like uh, pressure sores, uh, falls, infections, all of which can be mitigated with mobility, mentation, medication, and uh, what matters. But I'm focusing here on delirium. You'll see some of the key inputs that are required. The incidence, that refers to what proportion of those admissions on that unit are likely to result in delirium where nothing special to be done. 
the effectiveness one, the uh, entry uh, just beneath it, represents how effective the 4Ms are in mitigating, tamping down that incidence. So 10% reduction from 20% would mean it would be only 18% post-delivery of the age-friendly health system. Uh, beneath that, you, you're looking at the implications for the length of stay and the uh, implications of that condition when it's acquired in the hospital for not only the length of stay, but also the intensity of a day in the hospital, uh, intensity meaning the cost per day. And so uh, length of stay may be five days normal with uh, just uh, no complications, uh, but it, it could get extended by five. And that was the number I used here, but you've seen in uh, the prior presentation, it could be as many as 12. And then, of course, the increment in cost per day uh, by virtue of the uh, added neediness of care for those that develop the condition. So at the bottom, you'll see uh, the calculation automatically made for you, 1.2 million, representing the cost avoidance. Next slide, please. Finally, um, before making the, uh, the ROI calculation, the tool needs another piece of information. The tool considers the financial impact of not receiving, the hospital of not receiving reimbursement for avoided cases that previously reimbursed. There is the uh, possibility uh, that a case when uh, detected and coded and then paid results in an offset to the uh, added expenses of providing uh, the associated care with that hospital-acquired condition. That's true of delirium. It's certainly not true of pressure sores. And so the calculator allows for that. Encephalopathy is one of those codes that uh, provides some offset. It's probably the code that makes the most difference in offsetting uh, the, uh, the expenses of delirium. So that completes, next slide, that completes the entries, uh, and those steps uh, represent how the ROI was calculated. But there are two features which uh, I think are particularly uh, important, useful, uh, in a world of uncertainty, because you may not know uh, what the true values are of the key variables that shape the ROI. And so... What the calculator allows you to do, and I'll talk about uh, threshold analysis first. Uh, threshold analysis uh, analyzes the question as to what the requisite level of the key variables are in order for a target ROI to be achieved. So you can see here that an ROI of 100%, if that's the, uh, that's the target, is achievable even with low effectiveness, only you don't have to do a 10% reduction, only 3.3. Uh, going The incidence going in doesn't have to be 20%. It could be as low as 6.7. And the programmatic expense could be a lot more than this program cost, and yet that target would be achieved. Over on the right, sensitivity analysis. This represents the results from a Monte Carlo simulation where <clears throat> ranges of the key variables are inputted when you don't know the true value, well, maybe you have a sense of it could be as low as or it could be as high as. And so the calculator adopts the ranges and then calculates uh, the range of uh, results. And so you can see here uh, the lowest uh, return on investment when uh, all of the factors are um, achieving uh, their most pessimistic levels, about 297%. It could go as high as 595%. The average is 435%. But if you uh, have a target of break-even to be cost-neutral, the calculator will tell you that there's a 0% probability of that happening. So even if you're uncertain, you've got a really robust business case under these circumstances. That's what the calculator, that's what the calculator shows. Next slide. Now, that is a calculator and uh, the, the business case for uh, an age-friendly system in an inpatient setting. The business case for the outpatient setting is very different. At least uh, the business case that I've constructed is predicated around the annual wellness visit, which is generating 
revenues, new revenues, new opportunities, uh, not only for those revenues, but also to address overlooked health issues uh, by providing appropriate and needed services. So I won't go into the uh, annual wellness visit, uh, which is the uh, principal intervention for an age-friendly uh, age-friendly care within the uh, medical group setting, but uh, my colleagues from Ascension will uh, speak about that. But I do want to point out, as we go to the next slide, that uh, that calculator is also available. Could we go to the next slide? Yeah. Uh, those both calculators are available, and uh, there are inst instructions uh, for both of them. And uh, Madge may want to say a word or two about uh, uh, making those available or having those available. Well, thank you, uh, Victor, and I. I really hope everyone uh, seizes on this opportunity to uh, listen again to a very, very. Uh, a clear explanation. I had to scratch my head and think about being back in school, uh, but at, <laughs> I, I, it, it is understandable, and uh, I appreciate so much. Uh, we also threw in the link there, Kedar Mate um, from IHI. We have a nice little recording uh, that you can also take advantage of, and uh, he can walk through uh, some of this also in a in a dynamic version. I'm afraid we don't have that animated version of slides here on WHI. We can't do that with WebEx. All right. I thank you, uh, Victor, and we've heard from Hartford, and we're now going to switch to the outpatient side and the folks uh, at Ascension. We're running a little bit over our half-hour mark when we go to Q&A dis and discussion. I see some comments in there. Uh, thanks for your patience. Um, I think this you'll agree that this is really valuable valuable learning. So we'll, we'll get to your questions in just a moment. All right, let me turn things over to uh, Jenny uh, to kick things off uh, about the outpatient and that annual wellness visit. Thanks. So the 4M work here at Ascension St. Vincent actually began with the Center for Healthy Aging. Uh, we are a geriatric specialty practice focusing primarily around extensive cognitive evaluations and geriatric consultations. We are a part of St. Vincent Ascension Medical Group, which includes uh, 38 primary care practices throughout Indiana that utilizes those Medicare wellness nurses uh, to provide the Medicare wellness visits to patients. Um, when we began the, the uh, age-friendly work here at uh, the Center for Healthy Aging, you can flip to the next slide, please. Thank you. Um, what we really focused on was creating a template within the EMR um, to help guide our providers, improve uh, efficiency. We quickly spread it to um, all of the patients throughout um, our office and then moved it to additional settings such as um, our independent assisted living settings and some of the long-term uh, care um, settings. Uh, and we'll talk in a moment about the advanced care planning codes, which you may have seen on that uh, outpatient calculator that uh, Victor had shown previously. Um, but we actually made a, a push with that also. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let Suzanne speak for a moment. Thanks. Um, this is Suzanne Engel, and what we did was we then engaged and educated our Medicare wellness nurses who are um, spread throughout the state in primary care offices. We created a 4M-focused uh, area in the Medicare wellness visit template, which um, helped us to uh, gather all the information that was already there and put it in one place. Lastly, we created a forum-focused referral tool to facilitate appropriate referrals based on identified patient needs. This tool, which is available on the IHI um, website, is uh, really helps support the ROI of the age-friendly work that is being done through the nurse-driven Medicare wellness visit, um, as well as it identifies important resources for our patients. So. This really um, ties everything together and what 
it's kind of the if this, then that um, tool, I call it. Next slide. Um, so this is sort of a snapshot of our forums area in our Medicare wellness visit. And when we put together this snapshot, um, it allowed us to see everything related to the forums in one place and then use that tool to base our referrals and our plan of care on uh, what this snapshot is really telling us about the patient. Next slide. So um, we, um, excuse me, so we provide age, we have have provided age-friendly care through this nurse-driven model to over 10,000 older adults in 2018, which um, is about 47% of all the Medicare wellness visits that were completed within our system. In 2019, our goal is for uh, the nurses to do about 12,000 visits um, this year. Go ahead. Uh, one more slide. Oh, go ahead. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's okay. Yeah. Um, so our return on investment, we did not have the um, ROI calculator, but Victor developed it based on our data. And you can see the difference in the ROI between in the pre-4M's um, Medicare wellness template and the post. Um, there was definitely an increase in what the nurses um did for the patient and uh, the downstream revenue on that. Um, additional benefits of using the forum model um, related to the tool, um, we captured these um, additional reven revenues from the activities and we increased referrals to these places listed. Um, in FY20, our goal is to really improve the advanced care planning and what matters to our patients. The Medicare wellness nurses will um, now discuss the um, advanced care documents with the patient, give them to them, set them up to discuss them with their loved ones and make their decisions, and then bring them back to the provider who will execute the forms, put them in the chart, and then be able to uh, bill for that. Um, uh, we lowered costs of providing the Medicare wellness visits just by uh, putting the nurses in and then um, increased the rev downstream revenue by really uh, focusing on the 4Ms. Um, I believe that we can really show that age-friendly work uh, can show an ROI not only to Ascension but to the consumer and to the Medicare system as a whole when healthcare professionals understand what matters to the patient and really designs that care within the patient's healthcare goals. We'll turn it back to Jenny. Um, so, and you can stay on this slide. So as Suzanne mentioned, um, that advanced care planning code, um, the Medicare wellness nurses are going to be on stride to make a significant impact in, in the increase um, in that in this next fiscal year. Uh, what we did was take a quick snapshot from the Center for Healthy Aging. Um, Medicare, I'm sure all of you are aware, Medicare began reimbursing for that um, advanced care uh, discussion in January of 2016. Um, that first year, and we're a, we're a pretty small practice, um, but that first year we kind of used as a baseline, and we had a total of 31 for that first year. When we began the age-friendly care toward the end of uh, 2017, the calendar year, uh, we'd shown about a 30% increase. Um, rather miraculously, 2018, uh, we tripled those numbers. Um, and so far for 2019, uh, we are on track to double those again. Uh, so the revenue based off of that is, is obviously very significant. Um, but it's, it's also, we're doing the right thing for the patient, which, um, as Suzanne said, is really going to help uh, drive other parts of that ROI, too. Uh, you can go ahead and flip to the next slide. So just kind of to summarize, um, what, what we're looking at now that, that we've got that great snapshot within um, the forum, the forum snapshot within the Medicare Wellness um, 
template is, you know, taking that picture and making sure that primary care providers um, are uh, in a position to go ahead and, and move forward with acting on that with the patient. Uh, we've started a mini fellowship. Actually, I left Greencastle, Indiana a little while earlier. We completed our fourth one-hour session there today where we're uh, providing education on the forums to um, primary care providers and, and the reception to it has been just absolutely uh, overwhelming. Um, a further spread of the 4Ms, um, like Hartford, we are we are trying to move into the inpatient uh, setting and looking at a mobile acute care uh, ACE model. Um, and I think our, our biggest challenge that we continue to have, but we're getting a little little better at, um, is finding the right way to ask those questions to get data that we can actually use. Uh, we tend to find out uh, the data that we collect may not be exactly what we need uh, when moving forward. So we're continuing to work in that area. Um, thank you, everyone, for this afternoon. Well, thank you both, uh, Jenny and Suzanne. Uh, granted, we're <laughs> we're spinning through a few years uh, fairly quickly and get to see uh, the high-level view and the results on the slides. Um, I think we had this nice one I just want to put up next of the Dalai Lama. can always stand to listen to what he has to say. If you think you are too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. Uh, so I think that uh, <laughs> puts some things in perspective here. Um, I want to also, I'm going to ask uh, Tam to jump back in here very quickly. We're going to throw these up because I want it while we're trying to be coherent here. Uh, Tam, you want to refer uh, to this uh, right now? You see it on the screen? Who are wondering... Uh, so for those of you who are wondering how to get involved in the A-Friendly initiative, um, our partner, the American Hospital Association, is launching an action community beginning fall 2019. Um, you can email them at afsh at aha.org. Um, an action community is about a six to eight month um, series uh, of webinars that you go together you go through the content together with um, hundreds of other organizations and share learnings. So if you're interested, please email them. Um, they should be starting that offering in either September or October. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Tam. And uh, just to a uh, little information there, also we're showing you about how to uh, stay tuned in. Reminder, this is, uh, we're, in, we're in the midst of uh, a very large movement uh, to reach uh, a thousand hospitals and a thousand uh, primary ambulatory, ambulatory settings uh, by December 2020. And you can be part of that as uh, hundreds of health systems are now. Uh, so a lot to learn here. Uh, the questions, uh, let's see, uh, maybe I'll, I'm not sure who gets this one, uh, is encephalopathy, I know I can say this, encephalopathy, the only code for increased reimbursement. What about any of the delirium codes? I don't know if we go back to the Hartford folks or if that's a Victor question. Who's got that one? Yeah, I, I think I can I can answer that. Thanks. There there are codes for delirium uh, for which uh, you'll get a provision an offset to the added burden uh, by virtue of that condition. But encephalopathy uh, provides uh, if you can demonstrate, and I believe this is a, and I'm not a clinician, but this is a more severe uh, form of delirium. Uh, encephalopathy provides a higher reimbursement. So if uh, you can demonstrate that, it would make a little bit more sense to code for that rather than some of the other uh, the other codes. I want to ask you, thanks, Victor, and I guess I want to ask you, uh, we did cram a lot into this hour, and I'm sorry we shortchanged a little bit the Q&A section, but still plenty of time to get your comments into the chat. What's the learning curve, would you say, uh, Victor, for using the calculator 
uh, amount of time that it takes to start plugging in the information, uh, how, how easy it is this uh, to adopt this kind of tool uh, into the work you're doing? Oh, it doesn't take very long to understand the uh, inner workings, the algorithm, uh, and to populate the calculator if you have the data. But uh, if you don't have the data and you need to begin by collecting it, then the utility of the calculator only comes a little later when you have it. Now, that's not to say that you cannot populate it with speculative data uh, or maybe even uh, data that represents targets and see uh, from a planning perspective what the return on investment might be. Uh, so it's a question of, yes, you can, you can populate it uh, quite easily using the uh, instructions. If you have the data, it doesn't take very long to, to learn the mechanics of it. But getting the data, knowing what data to get, and having validated data, uh, that can take quite a bit of time. Okay. Is there any particular data uh, that health systems might <laughs> noticeably be missing or, or is it seems to be uh, kind of appearing as one of the, the challenging areas there um, and any pattern that we're seeing yet? Well, uh, yeah, if... Uh, if, if I were looking to collect data uh, and I had a limited amount of time and resources to collect it, I would look at the, the, the variables that are most influential in shaping the ROI. And uh, sensitivity analysis would show that there, there really are three or four key variables. And if you have evidence about those, uh, then uh, you've got 90% of uh, the, uh, the results. And that would be the uh, incidence of, uh, of delirium. Uh, it would be the effectiveness of a 4M program. That would be the second. The third would be the uh, expansion in the length of stay that results from uh, delirium or whatever the hospital-acquired conditions are. Uh, the fourth one, I don't think it's would it's fourth in in importance, uh, but it's I think far less important than the other three. At least uh, may not be always true, but the cost per day uh, increases uh, at uh, at Hartford as a result of uh, the acquisition of delirium, but the cost per day may not vary that much uh, at other places. I've had some. Uh, contrary information about that, that uh, sometimes the cost of uh, a day in the hospital, while it rises, is not all that uh, uh, all that much bigger. And so, yes, it's a factor, and I think it's particularly a factor uh, in ADAPT, uh, but I would really work on the first three, and if uh, you have time and you can look at cost per day as well, I, that would be my fourth one. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, back to the folks at Hartford, uh, Bob or Chris, uh, I know uh, we had some next steps, uh, kind of where Ascension is going. I want to make sure we uh, get uh, some of that from you as well, uh, kind of what we might look for next uh, from your work. One of the things, this is Bob, and thank you so much. This is a terrific program. <clears throat> One of the, the areas we're focused on now is better quantifying um, the excess days um, and working with finance so that we're on a, a shared platform language-wise to understand all the variables. Um, Victor has spoken to this eloquently, um, but having an effective dialogue about um, how you how you analyze these things is is part of our challenge, and we have a lot of data, and I think that our registry has served us well, um, but we're in the process of taking a deeper dive at this point. The other thing that we're looking at now, because uh, the leadership across the board has so embraced this, is how do we extend it to the rest of the system and. Uh, identify the resources in which to do that, and I'll let Chris speak to that. Mm -hmm. Yes, we we're, uh, we would love to bring this to our other acute care hospitals, of which we have uh, seven in total, 
And we've also introduced it in our um, extended care facility at our subacute level post-acute care. So we're in the process of evaluating um, that, and that will help us to, to get further data on the cost-effectiveness of the program. Okay, thank you. Quick question for Victor, and I want to also acknowledge uh, some of the additional comments uh, in the chat. Uh, thank you from Carol uh, talking about ROI calculators used by the Association for Nursing Professional Development, uh, giving a big thumbs up for this kind of thing. Cooley Dickinson is also a small community hospital, is uh, participating in a current action uh, community. Um, Victor, maybe the uh, question for you, uh, every, everybody would love to sort of see how you could blanket your whole system, I suppose, uh, with good 4M care everywhere. Somebody is wondering about mental health services. Uh, there wasn't a lot in that question other than that, but I think the ability to apply this to many areas uh, m- must be great. And obviously, when we're talking about mentation, we're talking about mental health as well. So uh, you put a lot of work into these uh, calculators. Are you optimistic about their utility across a lot of different uh, health issues? Well, this calculator is customized for the four Ms. Uh, however, the approach is perfectly general. Uh, the approach one would take to uh, assess the strength of the business case for providing uh, mental health interventions in an outpatient setting would uh, look very much the same. Uh, there would be some subtle differences, but the approach would be the same. Uh, It doesn't matter whether it's uh, looking at a a program for caries for dental dental care. Uh, It could be a a business case for palliative care. It could be a case that you make for bariatric care. Uh, I mean, I've seen business cases made for just about every imaginable intervention. And the methodology that I've outlined today, I think, is useful in all of those. But I don't, uh, I don't imagine that the calculators that I presented today uh, would be all-purpose calculators. Uh, they've been designed really specifically with the four M's in mind. Well, I think that's just such uh, an achievement and a real breakthrough in this area. I started off the program by saying that um, there's an awful lot of narrative out there with the sky is falling about the costs of an aging uh, population and the gray tsunami, et cetera, et cetera. And this uh, absolutely is among the kinds of things that can really uh, burst uh, some of those ideas and change the narrative and the marriage here really of looking at costs as well as appropriate care. Uh, So uh, kudos uh, and hats off to all of you. So I really want to thank all our uh, panelists today from Hartford Hospital, from Ascension out in Indiana, uh, Jenny and Suzanne and Bob and Chris in in Hartford and Victor Tabush. And thank you, uh, Tam, for also being part of the program. And congratulations to you, Victor, and all the authors of The Business Case for Age-Friendly Care. Well, you've got a pile of stuff here to dig into, everyone, our wonderful audience. You can find it all on the website. Uh, Vicki Minden here uh, has also given you a lot of links, so be sure to download the chat when you get off the program. This will also be on our website. And you did see a fair number of references to action communities, the one coming up uh, in the fall, uh, sponsored by the American Hospital Association. Uh, the Age-Friendly Health Systems Initiative has been running these action communities, which is how a number of systems are getting their feet wet with a lot of this and all that information also available uh, on IHI.org slash age-friendly. So I hope you'll look that up. All right, next up on WIHI uh, on July 18th, we're just speeding through the summer. Uh, <laughs> aim high for equity 
community and the healthcare uh, workforce. Uh, that info goes up on our website at the conclusion of today's show. I hope you'll take a look at that as well. Again, uh, don't forget you can download as many things as you want when you get off the program, and we really will hope you'll give us some feedback. Fill out the survey. What worked for you uh, on the program uh, today? What can we always do better? Uh, we do uh, look at all of that information as we continue to plan. And if you do subscribe uh, to iTunes, uh, the IHI at iTunes, you'll get the program regularly. And give us a like every now and then. Any questions whatsoever, you can email info at IHI.org. Great group help make this program possible. They include Matt Morris, Vicki Minden, Joanna Carmona, Mo Berry, Val Weber, and Pat McTiernan. And I want to give a special thanks to Tam, Kim Mitchell, and Leslie Pelton for helping me with today's program. And it's my privilege to host this program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care, most of all, for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to WIHI. For over 25 years, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement has worked with visionaries, leaders, and frontline practitioners around the world to spark bold, innovative ways to improve the health of individuals and populations. If you've ever wondered how exactly we do this or what specifically IHI is working on now, then the 2019 Immersion Program is for you. A week-long program taking place July 29th through August 2nd in IHI's Boston office, Immersion provides participants with a deep dive into IHI's strategy and values. Head to IHI.org immersion to register today and claim your spot.